encourage you to take your Bibles and turn to the book of Proverbs, Proverbs chapter 8. If you don't have a Bible, you can grab a pew Bible in front of you. It's going to be on page 532 in the black Bible in front of you. We're in the fifth week in this series that I've entitled Wise Up, where we are looking at selected Proverbs from the book of Proverbs, the treasure trove of wisdom in the Scripture. I think if there's one thing we could all use, it's more wisdom. In the introductory message, I talked a little bit about the structure of the book of Proverbs. And in that message, I shared with you that the first nine chapters of Proverbs are really introductory to the subject, to the topic of wisdom. And as such, they introduce us to the necessity of it, the importance of it, how it functions and how it works. And so of these nine sermons in this series over the summer, we're going to take six of them from these first nine chapters. And this morning is one of those. This past week, I FaceTimed with my daughter, Amber. As you probably know, she is in Europe all summer. She's studying abroad. She just completed on Tuesday her classes in Madrid, Spain. So she earned two college classes, six credits in Spain, learning the language of Spanish. And now, after being done in Spain, she's just globetrotting Europe with her friends. And so she's currently, right now, in Switzerland. And that's where I FaceTimed her the other day, was she was in Switzerland. And you probably also know, most of you, that Switzerland is actually my family's home country. It's interesting, when she checked in at the train station after she got off the plane in Zurich, she goes up to the uh, attendant there, and she's getting some tickets for her and her friends, hands her her passport, and she sees the name Amber Wallace, and she says, hey, that's a Swiss name. And she felt like she was right at home, right? Now, one of the things you do when you are in Switzerland among other things, and that's one of the things I was talking to her about, is you go see castles. You go look at castles because there are littered throughout the landscape of Switzerland and really much of Europe these incredibly beautiful castles that have been standing there for centuries upon centuries. They're magnificent. They're impressive. They're beautiful. Now, I have also a picture of a, just an ordinary castle in just an ordinary village. This is actually from the village of Berglin, Switzerland. It just so happens that Berglin is the village where my dad grew up. And this castle is the village castle in the village of Berglin. A couple of hundred years ago, the village converted this castle to a school, and it became the Berglin School, or School Berglin is where it, what it is, and it still is to this day. This is actually where my dad went to school. I've been in that building several times, and uh, he tells interesting stories about growing up as a child in that school, one of which during World War II, they actually used part of it as a jail for prisoners, and so he would go make fun of the prisoners in the schoolyard, so you don't do that if there's a jail at your school. Um, Now, why are these castles so impressive to us, and why do they last? Because unlike buildings we build today, they're not made of sticks and two-by-fours and pressed wood OSB. They're made of these massive stones that have been quarried from the very Alps among which they are nestled. So this castle and castles like it will be around long after we're all gone. And really, the point is this. The longevity of a structure is determined by the materials with which it is built. 
The longevity of a structure is determined by the materials with which it is built. Now, here's what I want us to consider as we embark into chapter 8 of Proverbs. Humankind, people, you and I, we too, like those castles, were built with great care, with tremendous craftsmanship, and solid materials. We were, according to the psalmist, fearfully and wonderfully made. According to Genesis, we were created in the image of God. And friend, you don't get better building materials than that. But as we look in our world, as we look in the mirror, we can see the effects of what Brother Joe talked about, the corruption of sin. In our sin, our lives and our world is crumbling. It's deteriorating. It's falling to shambles. And we wonder, how can it be fixed? But further, who can fix it? Here's the deal. There are many people applying for the job to come into your life, to come into our world, to come into our nation, and fix the problems. Those applicants really fall into two categories, folly and wisdom. Folly, foolishness, and wisdom. There are foolish applicants who cry out, you need me to fix what's broken in your life. You need me to give you meaning. You need me to give you purpose and satisfaction and fulfillment. You need me to repair your world. Greed cries out. Wealth cries out. Popularity cries out. Position cries out. Materialism cries out. Power cries out. And they all cry out, I can fix it. I can repair it. I can bring satisfaction and meaning. Let me perform the extreme makeover you so desperately need. But each of those applicants for the job of repairing what is broken in our world and in our lives, whether they know it or not, they're all lying to us. They can't fix us. They can't repair us. You see, in their folly, they fail to see what is truly broken about us? What's truly broken about the world? Therefore, how could they possibly offer anything that could fix it? You see, what is ultimately and unfortunately broken in our lives and in our world is our relationship with our Creator. Therefore, there's only one way that that relationship can be mended. It's when the Creator takes the initiative to do the mending. You see, because there's another applicant for the job of fixing what is broken. One is folly, the other is wisdom. Wisdom. Wisdom also calls out to anyone who will listen. Wisdom says, you need me. And friend, wisdom doesn't lie. In fact, in this chapter 8, the author Solomon, under the inspiration of the Spirit, uses a literary device known as personification. I've actually used personification already in this message. And what he does is he takes the concept of wisdom, the ideal of wisdom, and he personifies it into a woman. And so I'm going to refer to her in this message as 
Lady Wisdom, because that's exactly how Solomon presents her. Now, by personifying the ideal of wisdom as a woman, here's what I believe Solomon is doing. If you were here last week, you may may remember we looked at another woman that Solomon presented to us. This woman was an adulteress. So Solomon is presenting this comparison and contrast between chapter 7 and chapter 8. You have the adulterous woman who is wooing, who is deceiving, who is standing on the corner saying, come to me. And then in chapter 8, you have the woman of wisdom, lady wisdom. Here's the difference. The lady of chapter 7, she moves secretly at night under the cover of darkness. She speaks deceitfully. Lady Wisdom moves out in public. And Lady Wisdom, when she talks, speaks truthfully. The adulteress leads her victims to slavery and bondage. Lady Wisdom leads her disciples to true freedom. The adulteress lives among the earthly sphere, whereas Lady Wisdom soars in the heavens. The adulteress pitches to us pleasure, which ends in death. Lady Wisdom demands discipline that concludes in life. We could also say that these two chapters, chapter 7 and chapter 8, are presenting two competing worldviews, how you view, how you interpret the world life and all that's in it. The worldview of chapter 7 is presenting a worldview where fleshly pleasure, where indulgent sex is the end all and the meaning and the fulfillment of life. And boy, are we seeing that worldview take a hold of our culture. Who in the world would have ever thought that someone's sexual identity or orientation would be the most important thing about them. That's what the world says today. This is the worldview of chapter 7. By contrast, the worldview of chapter 8 is presenting to us one that in wisdom is a God-centered worldview. It's God-centered in that it's Only through God that you can find true meaning, wholeness, satisfaction, and fulfillment. But do you know what else the worldview of chapter 8 promises you? Life. Joyous life. There's another thing we'll see in Proverbs 8. And what it is, it's all about uh, coming out of dying and into Living. Now, before we get to the blessings of wisdom, that's the title of my message. Before we get to that, I want to uh, just talk a little bit more about this concept or this ideal of wisdom. Uh, we've, through these last four weeks, looked at some definitions of wisdom. We've considered the meaning of wisdom. And, uh, for instance, in the opening message, I gave a very simple two-word definition for wisdom. In fact, look at this next slide. I told you then... Ignorance is no knowledge. You can't blame somebody if they're ignorant. They don't have the knowledge. Wisdom is applied knowledge. Foolishness is having the knowledge but not applying it. See? Now, we can see this simple definition play out in our lives in a lot of different ways. I came across this quote. You've probably heard something like it. Knowledge is knowing what to say. Wisdom is knowing whether or not to say it. 
Knowledge is knowing a really good zinger to put in the comment section. Wisdom is knowing there's no value in putting that zinger in the comment section. Oh, but I'd really burn him. Don't do it. Just this week, I read this quote. Knowledge is knowing that a tomato is a fruit. Wisdom is knowing not to put it in fruit salad. Right? That's wisdom. <laughs> Knowledge and wisdom. A couple of weeks ago, Pastor Wade explained from J.I. Packer's definition what wisdom is. Packer said this, quote, Wisdom is the power to see and the inclination to choose the best and highest goal together with the sure means of obtaining it. Now, I want to bring another nuance of the meaning of wisdom this morning. Wisdom is also used in the Bible, and this particular word for wisdom in Proverbs chapter 8 is used in the Bible to describe a particular skill set. Wisdom is the capacity to do something. So, for instance, in the book of Exodus, uh, God instructs Moses to gather for himself people who have the capacity of certain skills, of crafts, of ability, of artisans to do things. And so, look at uh, Exodus chapter 35. Here's just an example Moses said to the people of Israel, See, the Lord has called by name Bezalel, and he has filled him with the Spirit of God with skill. That word translated skill in Exodus, the exact same word translated wisdom in Proverbs chapter 8. With intelligence, with knowledge, and with all craftsmanship to devise artistic designs. He has filled them with skill, same word, to do every sort of work done by an engraver or by a designer or by an embroiderer. In Isaiah chapter 10, the word skill or wisdom is used to describe someone who has the skill of a soldier. In Psalm 107, it describes the skill of a sailor. So wisdom also includes a certain kind of craftsmanship, a capacity to build things, to fix things. So here's another definition I, I came up with this week, and you know I wrote it because it's alliterated. So here's my other definition for wisdom. Wisdom is the skill set to construct, craft, correct, or control. So wisdom is also this capacity. That would have been a better word to use instead of skill set. I just thought of that. That would have been ultimate alliteration. Wisdom is the capacity to construct, craft, correct, or control. It just comes out. It must be the Holy Spirit of God. I know. So this is what wisdom is. And so I want to approach chapter 8 with this definition in mind that is also this skill set. One more point of introduction before we break down the text. This wisdom of Proverbs chapter 8 is pointing to a person. The person is Jesus Christ. The lady wisdom of Proverbs 8 is exemplifying for us the fulfillment of of Jesus, the very one through whom we can see and we can know the grandeur of life. Now, this chapter is most clearly and naturally divided into five stanzas. And so I've got five points, and under each of these points are the five stanzas from chapter 8. We're not going to read the whole text up front, but we'll read all of it through the five points of my outline. So here's the first blessing of wisdom I want us to consider from Proverbs 8. Number one, Wisdom is available to the poor. Wisdom is available to the poor. Lady Wisdom introduces herself in the first five verses of this chapter, and in so doing, she lets us know she is available to anyone who needs her. 
to those who are lacking. Unlike the adulteress in chapter 7 who comes and comes to destroy, Lady Wisdom is coming to give life. Lady Wisdom is coming to give insight to those who are lacking, to give prudence to those who are uh, impoverished. Wisdom is available for the poor. And by poor, I don't mean financially. I mean impoverished in all kinds of ways. Wisdom is available. So look at the first five verses with me. Does not wisdom call? Does not understanding raise her voice? Again, personification. Verse 2, on the heights beside the way, at the crossroads, she takes her stand. Beside the gates, in front of the town, at the entrance of the portal, she cries aloud. Quote, to you, O men, I call, and my cry is to the children of man. O simple ones, learn prudence. O fools, learn sense. Lady Wisdom is raising her voice. She is lifting loudly her voice and calling forth people to take notice, to listen. Who's she calling out here to? Verse 5 says, to the simple ones. And the fools, when fools is used here, it's not being used as a put-down, like sometimes it is in the book of Proverbs. It's just simply used for the people who don't have the, the knowledge. They don't have the information. They don't have wisdom yet, but they desperately need it. Lady Wisdom is calling out for anyone who needs wisdom. Another point to make about the intended audience is not just as obvious as that first one. Wisdom is not just for a select group of people. It is an open invitation for all people. Notice verse 2 and 3 says that she's crying out on the heights beside the way. She's at the crossroads. What is the crossroads? It's the busiest intersection. It's where all the people are passing and traveling. It's the corner of Market and MLK downtown. That's where she is. She's not on a cul-de-sac. She's not on a dead-end street. It says she's beside the gates of the town. This is where people must enter or exit. That's where wisdom is. She is open and available to all. Wisdom is for all who need wisdom. And the implication here is that everybody, everybody should listen because everybody needs more wisdom. Would you agree with that? We all need more wisdom. That's the first blessing we see in Proverbs 8. That wisdom is available. Here's the second one. Wisdom is accurate in what it proclaims. Wisdom is accurate in what it proclaims. Again, in contrast to chapter 7 where the woman is full of deceit, she doesn't offer full disclosure to what going with her is going to cause and the pains it will bring, the cost associated. Wisdom is not in secret. It's open and it's truthful It's honest. It's in the light of day. She always speaks the truth. Look at verses 6 through 11. Hear, for I will speak noble things, and from my lips will come what is right. For my mouth will utter truth. Wickedness is an abomination to my lips. All the words of my mouth are righteous. There's nothing twisted or crooked in them. They're all straight to him who understands and right to those who find knowledge. Take my instruction instead of silver and knowledge rather than choice gold. For wisdom is better than jewels and all that you may desire cannot compare with her. So in verses 6 through 9, wisdom begins by commanding her audience to listen, to hear her out. And the reason they should hear her out, because she always speaks the truth. 
She always tells the truth. She always speaks honestly and openly. Unlike folly, unlike foolishness, wisdom does not lie about how to fix the problems we have. Wisdom always tells the truth. In verses 10 through 11, she commands her audience to listen because what she has to offer is more valuable than gold, silver, and precious jewels. Wisdom, listen, is better than wealth. Wisdom is better than the world's riches. This is another false worldview that's being pushed upon us day in and day out. Namely, that money will fix all of our problems. If I could just increase my earnings just a little bit. If I could just have a little bump in my salary. If I could just win the lottery. All my problems will be over. Think about this reality. As we just prayed a prayer of thanksgiving for living in this country, here's the reality. This generation that we exist in right now in the United States of America, it is the, in spite of inflation, (laughs) in spite of high gas prices, right now we are in the most affluent and wealthy generation to ever walk this planet. We are. We are the wealthiest generation in human history. Now let me ask you a question. This is an easy question. It's a softball question. Has unprecedented wealth corrected our problems? Of course not. The only thing this affluence has done for us is it has exasperated and magnified our problems. We're just as broken as we were before we got rich. In fact, I would say we're more broken. As the most prosperous generation in history, we are also the most heavily medicated generation in history. Whether it's self-medication through alcohol abuse, recreational pot, meth, prescription pain meds, or through psychiatric prescriptions to help us cope, the wealth of silver and gold and precious jewels cannot fix our lives though we've been sold a bill of goods, that it can. Only wisdom offers the rescue we need. Now that she's made a case, Lady Wisdom, for why she's such a good match for those who need repair in their life, wisdom validates and she substantiates that claim. She does that in the next two stanzas. And and I view the next two stanzas, the next two points, really kind of as wisdom's resume. Lady Wisdom says, here's my resume for the job of repairing your life. I'd like to make application applying to be in your life. The first thing she presents in her resume is this, that wisdom is associated with the prosperous. Lady Wisdom begins to present all of her associates. What is she doing? She's name dropping. This is who I've hung with. This is who I know. You connect with me, you get a channel to them. She's listing her associates. We've heard before, it's not what you know, but who you know. And Lady Wisdom is going to let you know, this is who I know. Look at verses 12 through 21. I, wisdom, dwell with prudence, and I find knowledge and discretion. 
The fear of the Lord is hatred of evil. Pride and arrogance in the way of evil and perverted speech I hate. I have counsel and sound wisdom. I have insight. I have strength. By me, kings reign and rulers decree what is just. By me, princes rule and nobles, all who govern justly. I love those who love me, and those who seek me diligently find me. Riches and honor are with me, enduring wealth and righteousness. My fruit is better than gold and even fine gold, and my yield than choice silver. I walk in the way of righteousness, in the paths of justice, granting an inheritance to those who love me and filling their treasuries. Her associates are who? Prudence, knowledge, discretion, all of which I would say we could all use a little more of. She's saying the best way to access those things is through me. These are my people. I can introduce you to my people. These are who I hang with. And in verse 13, we learn who she doesn't associate with. She doesn't associate with evil, with pride, with arrogance, with perverse speech. No, she shoots straight. She will not associate with them. And then in verse 14 through 16, it's almost like she's raising the ante, if you will. She goes on to list the types of people who've benefited from her services. Kings, rulers, princes, nobles, those who build kingdoms and countries. They, anyone who has governed justly has benefited from association with me. And if association with power were not enough, wisdom goes on to talk again about riches and honor that are associated with him, with her, excuse me, as well. Lady Wisdom associates with some really important people, the movers and shakers, really powerful people. She says, if you associate with me, you have tremendous access to capital for all your future investments. Yet at the same time, although Lady Wisdom is well-connected with a lot of important people, she says, I am completely available and accessible to anyone. Look at verse 17 again. She says, I love those who love me, and those who seek me diligently find me. Let me ask you a question. Do you love wisdom? Do you long for wisdom? Do you want to be wise according to God's ways? But not only that, she offers more than power and money. In fact, she offers something that many people with power and money never possess. Notice verse 19 one more time. Lady Wisdom says, My fruit is better than gold, even fine gold, and my yield than choice silver. Now, she hasn't yet told us what that quote-unquote fruit is. This is just a hint that there's something better coming. This is a hint She's maintaining suspense. She's building expectations. She saved the best associate for last. Who is this associate? Look at verse 22 and following. The Lord. It's Yahweh. The Lord possessed me at the beginning of his work, the first of his acts of old. Ages ago I was set up at the first, before the beginning of the earth, When there were no depths, I, wisdom, was brought forth. When there were no springs abounding with water, before the mountains had been shaped, before the hills, I was brought forth. Before he had made the earth with its fields or the first of the dust of the world. If the other thing, and we need to learn about Lady Wisdom here, is that she's not been job hopping. 
She's been with God from the beginning. She's faithful with the Lord. She has a long track record with him. I don't know about you, but based upon her resume so far, she looks like a pretty good applicant for the job of rebuilding and reshaping our lives, of coming in and repairing what is broken. But as we continue through this resume, not only does she present her associates, but she also presents her accomplishments. Wisdom is accomplished in its purpose. You see, a resume that simply lists references, <laughs> I know all these people, is not worth the paper it's written on. There also ought to be some accomplishments listed on a resume, and wisdom knows that and begins to list her accomplishments in verse 27. And her accomplishments are really where the rubber meets the road. This is where she really establishes her capacity, her ability to fill the job of rebuilding our lives. Look at verse 27 and following. When he, God, established the heavens, I, Lady Wisdom, was there. When he drew a circle on the face of the deep, when he made firm the skies above, when he established the fountains of the deep, when he assigned to the sea its limits so that the waters might not transgress his command, when he marked out the foundations of the earth, then I was beside him like a master workman, and I was daily his delight, rejoicing before him always, rejoicing in his inhabited world and delighting in the children of man. Talk about work experience. She was with God when he created all that's been created. When God spoke the universe into existence, Lady Wisdom is claiming here, I was there. It was through me that he did all things. It was in wisdom that God crafted and created. Now that really points us back to the definition I'm highlighting today. Wisdom is the skill set to construct, craft, correct, or control. And here wisdom is saying that's exactly how God used me to construct to craft, to correct, and to control his creation. It's done in wisdom. What does this mean? Lady Wisdom is making this claim. I know everything about everything. Wow, that's quite a claim. I know everything about how the world was made. I know everything about how it's supposed to operate. Therefore, I alone have the capacity to repair what is broken in your lives. There are really three main ways we know we're broken. Three main areas where we are messed up. We're broken in our relationship with God. We're broken in our relationship with other people. And we're broken in the way that we engage in the world that God's placed us in. All three of those things are broken. We're messed up in all three of those areas. So let me ask you, would you like some repair in your relationship with God? Would you like some repair in your relationship with your family, with children, parents, friends, coworkers? Would you like some repair in your occupation, in your place in the world where you find fulfillment? Lady Wisdom claims, I am the only one who can bring that. I'm the only one who can repair these areas of your life. Now, let me illustrate it like this. Let's say you've decided to become entrepreneurial, and you're going to start a company, a business. And 
this company, this business is going to make and repair widgets. And you have a creative name for your company. You're going to call it Widget Manufacturing Company. Very creative. Now, as your company grows and expands, you realize you need some more employees in your service and repair department. You need some people to come alongside in your company to work on widgets, people who have the skill set, that's our word, to work on widgets. And let's just say you get a resume from somebody, somebody by the name of Johnny B. Widget. And Johnny B. Widget brings you his resume. He's on the front door. Is here I am, Johnny B. Widget. And what you discover when you read Johnny B. Widget's resume is this. He was there with Widget Brothers Incorporated when they designed the widget. Not only was he there, but he was in the research and development phase of the widget. He was there in the fabrication and the making of the widget. And he's now applying for the job in your service department. Would you consider him as a potential employee? Absolutely. He knows the widget inside and out. If you want to know how to get around in God's creation... Wisdom is applying for the job. She's saying, hire me. I'm the best applicant. I can do it. I can give you the insight you need. And this is Lady Wisdom's resume. She only associates with prudence. She avoids evil. Lady Wisdom has been accessed by the most powerful kings and rulers of history. She is associated with the wealthy and enduring riches. But most importantly, she's associated with God. She was involved in the very creation of the world in which we live, and therefore she knows exactly how we should all live. Now, in case you haven't been completely sold yet on the blessings of wisdom, there's one final blessing that I hope should seal the deal. Number five, wisdom gives access to ultimate power. Wisdom gives access to ultimate power. Friends, better than kings and princes and nobles, better than access access to gold and silver and jewels, wisdom gives us access to ultimate power. Why? Because wisdom gives us access to God. Look how this chapter concludes, the last five verses. And now, O sons, listen to me. Blessed are those who keep my ways. Hear instruction and be wise and do not neglect it. Blessed is the one who listens to me, watching daily at my gates, waiting beside my doors. For whoever finds me finds life, watch this, and obtains favor from the Lord. But he who fails to find me injures himself. All who hate me love death. Now we see the culmination and the conclusion of all that wisdom has to offer. Not only does she come with her resume that tells us she can give us the skill necessary to navigate our own lives, to navigate our life with God, to navigate our life with people, to navigate our life in this world. Not only does she give us access to these associates that are tremendous to us, but wisdom knows how to remodel our lives and 
how she can rebuild the shambles of our existence because she gives us access to the Lord. She knows we need our relationship with the Lord rebuilt before anything else will work. Again, verse 35, she knows we need, quote, favor from the Lord. That word favor could also be translated grace. Anybody here need grace besides me? We need favor. We need the grace of the Lord. Why do we need grace? Because wisdom knows we are dead in our trespasses and sins. Wisdom knows that we cannot find eternal life apart from knowing God. And wisdom is available for anybody who will listen. Her resume is, as it were, an open letter. Come and find. So how do you get wisdom? How do you get access to everybody who's on her team? How do you get wisdom? Well, a thousand years after Solomon wrote Proverbs chapter 8, wisdom became flesh and blood. The very craftsman who was involved with the creation of all that exists was born to a Jewish carpenter, a craftsman. Jesus Christ is the wisdom of God. Let me say that again. Jesus Christ is the wisdom of God. If you were with us at the beginning of this year when we started our verse-by-verse study through the Gospel of John, the very first sermon we considered, verses 2 and 3 of the first chapter, that says this about Jesus. He, Jesus, was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In this chapter 8, Solomon uses a literary device I refer to as personification for wisdom. We've been calling her Lady Wisdom throughout this message. That literary device of personification is pointing to a person. It's pointing to Jesus. Wisdom is encapsulated in Christ. Colossians 2.3 says that Christ is all the wisdom of God. It was through wisdom, Jesus, that God created the world. It is through wisdom, Jesus, that he sustains and orders his creation. Therefore, it is Jesus who has the essence and the substance of true wisdom and the only capacity to bring new life. Look at this very familiar passage, 2 Corinthians 5, 17, that describes the work of Jesus. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Who has the capacity to rebuild our lives? Wisdom personified. Wisdom Jesus Christ. And only through his death and his burial and his resurrection can we be restored to a right relationship first with God and then following that right relationship with others and with creation. There's also a warning here as we close I want us to consider. It's the last verse of this chapter. Verse 36. He who fails to find me injures himself. All who hate me love death. Friends, the only way to walk in victory in this life is through Jesus, the very wisdom of God. And the only way to get wisdom is through faith in Jesus. 
But there is also this warning. What's it a warning of? It's a warning of injury. It's a warning of death. What's the warning? It's a warning of judgment. Whether they'll admit it, everyone wants some rebuilding in their life. Everyone wants some repair in their life, whether that's emotional repair, relational repair, spiritual repair, vocational repair, social repair. The fool is the person who tries to rebuild their lives their own way. The fool is the one who looks at all the different applicants from this world that are just lying. They can't provide what you need. The fool is the one that thinks, well, money is the way. The fool is the one that thinks, well, I can raise my kids my own way. The fool is the one who says, I can do my job my own way. The fool is the one, I can have my sexual life my own way. They reject Christ. They hate wisdom. Who would hate wisdom? Those who love all these other things. They're like the foolish man that Jesus talked about who built his house on the sand and the rains and the storm came and washed away that house. The wise person builds his life on the rock of Jesus Christ. The storms still come. The waves still batter. But like those centuries-old castles, they stand the test of time. Maybe you're here this morning. And you would honestly admit, perhaps for the very first time, I need some rebuilding. I need some reordering. I need some correction. My life, mm, shambles. Only Jesus and the wisdom of God can bring that. Because of his life, because of his death, and because of his resurrection, you access that wisdom by clinging to Christ. And that's my last thought. We cling to wisdom, the skill set to operate our lives. We access that by clinging to Jesus Christ. Let's go to him in prayer.